Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff and I'm seated here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe, sitting right next to Tom. Tom Dorian, how you doing, Tom? I am jubilant. I feel like I should exclaim that very loudly. Yeah, there's a good reason. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But I noticed you're sitting there with a Greek salad in front of you. A Greek salad. Yeah, it's, it's a Greek good salad. stuff, man. <laughs> I, I don't like Greek salads because they got uh, olives and onions and, uh, and feta stuff. Cheese. You I like love the feta? feta cheese, but I don't like the whole Greek salad experience. You don't like the olives? And that's really the only Greek that we do here at the Catholic Cafe. However, Uh-oh. our biblical scholars out there will note that, obviously, uh, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Bible, mm-hmm. the Old Testament, and, of course, much of the New Testament was written in Greek. It was. And so knowing a little bit about Greek, it's kind of a good thing. It is. Uh, but I don't know a lot about Greek, so I rely on others. Greek to you. It's all Greek to me. Uh, but I do know a couple of words, and we're going to talk about a few of those words because one, one of them is really – One of my favorite words. That's right. It's one of those really cool words. So we'll just, well, without further ado, we don't even tell people what we're talking about. We'll just start going. Yeah, well, I think that's great. Well, we're going to start in Luke. So uh, unless you're driving, open up your uh, Bibles to uh, <laughs> Luke. Uh, this would be chapter 1, verses 41 and 42. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so we're going to call attention to the phrase exclaimed with a loud cry there. All right. Uh, and this word, um, the Greek verb that's used here is a verb called anaphaneo. Anaphaneo. Yeah, anaphaneo, which uh, defined means cry out with a loud voice or call aloud or exclaim. And you would think that this would be a really common word, you know, exclaim like shout or yell or hey, you know. Right. But that's not what's going on here. The word anaphaneo is very obscure, and it's only used – this is the important thing. It's okay. only used six times in the entire Bible. Really? Yeah, six times. Once right here in the New Testament. Okay. But it's also used five times in the Greek version, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. So, so once five in the New times. and five in the Old. That's exactly right. Interesting. So, well, it gets even more interesting. Can't wait. We, we dig deeper. All right. And we find out that uh, where it's used in the Old Testament, we're going to get a couple of samples of where it's used in the Old Testament. Let's go to First uh, Chronicles chapter 15, verse 28. And there we read, So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, and cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. And so we see the word anaphaneo is used there. Okay. Right? Let's also go to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 4. Moreover, he appointed certain of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And, of course, we have the word anaphaneo used there for this to both, invoke. Both times uh, with the ark. That's right. And guess what? Uh-oh. There's more. We'll just read a couple more. There's a theme. Uh, yeah, a little bit later on in that same uh, uh, chapter, verse 5. Asaph was the chief, and then lists several people who were along with Asaph, 
And it says, they were there to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. And again, anaphaneo is used in that same context. And of course, we'll, uh, we'll do one more. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard. That's where they have anaphaneo right there. To make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise of the Lord. For he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And so we have these uses of the word anaphaneo. Mm-hmm. And as you've already pointed out, every time that anaphaneo is used in the Old Testament, what's it referring to? The ark. Well, it's in the context of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. I love the way Scott Hahn refers to it. He says, it refers to the melodic sounds of the Levitical singers and musicians when they glorify the Lord in song. Right? And so there it is, singing praise to God, Mm -hmm. right, in the context of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. So we have to ask ourselves, why would Luke, who's a learned man, he's educated, Mm And you know what? Luke is a great storyteller. He has a great command of the language. He, he could turn a phrase, as they would say mm-hmm. today. Why would Luke purposefully choose the word anaphaneo instead of just saying, you know, yelled loudly or, or shrieked or sh- screamed? It's drawn a parallel. That's exactly right. Drawn a parallel. When Mary greets Elizabeth, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, what does she do? She exclaims with a loud cry. Mm-hmm. She anaphaneo, you know, is what she shouts to Mary. Right. The same thing that these Levitical singers and minstrels did, with these the musicians did the with the, the ark. Covenant. Yep. So obviously, Elizabeth is recognizing Mary as the ark. Luke's good, isn't he? Yeah, Luke is very good. He's a great storyteller, as we've mentioned. Let's go on and look at some other connections. There are other connections we'd want to talk to. Okay. One of those is great. It's Mary arose and went into the Judean hill country. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country of the city of Judah. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, David also arose and went into the same area centuries earlier. In 2 Samuel 6, 2, And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from baal Judah. To bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And so David also arose and went. Mm -hmm. Mary arose and went. David arose and went. So Luke is choosing his words carefully. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth felt unworthy to receive Mary and the Lord. She says in Luke chapter 1, verse 43, And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? David also felt unworthy. In 2 Samuel 6, 9, he says, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So Elizabeth says, Why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And David says, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? That's cool. I mean, there's some parallels here. Luke is is choosing his words carefully. Mm -hmm. David danced before the ark with joy in 2 Samuel 6, 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, it says. And, of course, John the Baptist danced in Elizabeth's womb. Luke mm-hmm. one forty one, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Mm-hmm. And of course, the ark stayed with David in the house of Obededom for a period of three months. We read that in Second Samuel six eleven, and it says, "And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obededom, the Gittite, for three months." Mm-hmm. And so, 
How long did Mary stay with Elizabeth? <laughs> three months. Yeah, how about that? Three months. What a, what a coincidence. Think of the odds. Yeah, Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So obviously, Luke is drawing a connection. He's drawing a parallel mm-hmm. between the Ark of the Covenant and Mary. The Ark of the New Covenant. The Ark of the New Covenant. That's exactly right. And that's that's something that's very important. Many people miss this. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was talking not long ago on an airplane with a gentleman, and we talked about this, and he was amazed. Well, first of all, that a Catholic actually cracked open a Bible. <laughs> and that was a, that was a good thing, I think. Uh, and all you Catholics out there listening, crack open your Bibles some more <laughs> yeah. so that we can impress more people and let them know that, that not only did Catholics bring the Bible, but they read the Bible uh, as of well. Course. But... Uh, this gentleman was amazed that that Luke might have even possibly thought about making that connection. Mm-hmm. Because seriously, you know, a man that chooses his words wisely, a man that's a great storyteller, has a great command of the language, obviously is going to take care with the words that he uses. That's true. So many of the stories that are in Luke are so dramatic. Mm-hmm. You know, you could actually see them as Hollywood screenplays. They're, they're that captivating. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas maybe Mark would be more straight and to the point and abrupt. Luke likes to... He likes to paint a great picture. Mm-hmm. And so when he paints this picture here, he chooses his words carefully, and he uses this anaphaneo word. And so then we have to ask ourselves, why would Luke do that? And it's to make that connection. And then you have to ask yourself, why is that so important? Why is it important that we think of Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant? Because is that just some weird Catholic thing? Oh, they call her this Ark of the New Covenant thing. I'm not really sure what that is and why that's even important. But it's vitally important to our Catholic understanding of who Mary was, what her role was, mm-hmm. and the role she is to continue to play in God's plan of salvation for us. And so we're probably all dying. We're sitting on pins and needles to find out why is this so important. But guess what? Got a pause for commercial. Yeah, that's sure. exactly right. We're going we're <laughs> to talk about this on the other side of our break. Uh, and uh, But before we do that, I do want to remind everyone that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And on that website, you're going to find lots of great links to other Catholic websites. But you'll also find all of these shows that we've recorded. Uh, we have, we've amassed uh, many shows now, and so on varying topics of uh, Catholic doctrine. And so you could go there and you can hear those shows. You can also hear this show again. You can also do the one-click podcasting. You can download those shows and listen to them at a more convenient time for you. Also, I'd like you to email me. I want you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so, with that, and with the help of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we'll be right back. I'm Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. If we do not risk anything for God, we will never do anything great for Him. These are the words of the great saint Louis-Marie de Montfort. He was a French priest and a renowned preacher of the 18th century. His impact on Marian theology has lasted for generations and has influenced the teachings of numerous popes and the spirituality of millions of Catholics around the globe. Born in a small French town to devout parents, the young Louis-Marie was known for his piety and devotion to the poor. He entered the Jesuit college in France at the age of 12. Sometime later, he felt a call to the priesthood and began studying philosophy and theology to prepare himself for his ordination. During this time, 
he developed a deep devotion to the Blessed Mother. In 1693, thanks to the generosity of a benefactor, Saint Louis-Marie was able to attend the seminary in Paris, France. His time in seminary proved to be a transformational period where he developed his profound Marian theology. In 1700, he was ordained a priest at the age of 27. As a newly ordained priest, Father Louis-Marie desperately wanted to form a small company of priests to preach missions all around the country. He once wrote, I am continually asking in my prayers for a poor and small community of priests to preach missions and retreats under the standard and protection of the Blessed Virgin. This led to the formation of the Company of Mary. Traveling through the many different regions in France, this small band of missionaries preached the good news of Christ and brought many souls to conversion. During this time, the heresy of Jansenism was spreading in Europe. Jansenism taught that man was permanently depraved and denied that God's mercy was available to all. De Montfort vigorously preached against the Jansenists and urged the faithful to have confidence in the care of the Blessed Mother and to seek union with our Lord Jesus Christ and His divine love. Saint Louis-Marie de Montfort is well known for his book, The True Devotion to Mary. In this book, he encourages the faithful to seek Jesus through Mary. He believed devotion to the Blessed Mother was the surest pathway to salvation in Jesus Christ. He encouraged a complete consecration to Mary through a series of spiritual exercises and a final commitment to her motherly care. Saint Louis-Marie de Montfort's feast day is April 28th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. So once again, we're back at the Catholic Cafe, sitting in the luxurious corner booth. Tom, are you uh, you hanging in with me? I'm hanging in there. Because we're slinging the scriptures left and right here. We are. Well, we're going to continue in that process. Great. Because now we're going to kind of talk about why it's important. Good idea. Why it's important that we make that connection between Mary and the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, good idea. What we're going to find out is that, obviously, that Luke paints this beautiful picture of Mary. In fact... Of all the books of the Bible, Luke's gospel gives us the most information and the and the best image available mm-hmm. of Mary. Mm-hmm. We find out more about Mary in Luke's gospel than anywhere else. And he does draw a, a definite connection between Mary and the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, his, uh, his imagery and use of the language, which is basically scripture here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We see Mary's role more clearly in God's plan of salvation. That's what's so important for us to understand about this Mary being the Ark of the New Covenant. Okay. And where we see that borne out, and what's so impressive, is that we we can actually see all four of the dogmas of Mary in this image uh, that Luke will have us see as Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. Okay. Now, if you aren't familiar with all the dogmas of Mary, we'll mention them again today, but we have a great show uh, entitled Mary that sort of goes through the four dogmas of Mary uh, and coming up, we're going to have some shows specifically on each one of the dogmas. We'll talk more about it. But let's now continue to draw that parallel between the Ark of the Covenant okay. and Mary, the Ark of the New Covenant. Okay. All right. So first we ask this question, how was the Ark of the Covenant constructed? So we go to where, Tom? Where would we go and find out? Exodus 25. 
Exodus chapter 25. We're going to hear a couple of verses from there. This is uh, verse 10 and 11 from Exodus chapter 25. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Within and without you shall overlay it. And you shall make upon it a molding of gold round about. So there we have this image, right, of mm-hmm. pure gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, gold obviously being a precious, valuable, and, and highlighting on the word pure again. You know, nothing but the best to contain that which is of God, right? right. I mean, we have to have nothing. Nothing is too good for God, so we'll get the finest materials we have, and it has to be pure gold, right? Mm-hmm. And then also an interesting thing, it's made of acacia wood. A lot of people don't realize what acacia wood is. I don't know what acacia wood is. But it's a very hard and dense, it's a very durable wood. Okay. And one of the cool things about it is it's, it's, it's a very permanent kind of wood. It's going to last a long time. There are actually natural toxins within this wood that will resist insect intrusions. You know, they won't want to eat this wood. Hmm. So it's going to last for, for, forever. It's also very beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, and it's resistant to corruption. You know, let's also look at how does the angel Gabriel greet Mary mm-hmm. in Luke chapter one, verse 42. And he came to her and said, hail, full of grace. The Lord is with you. Now, sometimes that's translated hail, highly favored one. Mm-hmm. The Lord is with you. But I want to look at the this is the second Greek word we're going to throw at you today. And that's kikari tomene. All right. So what does kikari tomene mean? OK. And we look at that word and we try to figure out what is uh, what is Gabriel the angel Gabriel saying to Mary. Now, we translate that as Catholics as hail, full of grace. Mm-hmm. Now, many say, oh, no, no, it just means highly favored bunny. It just means, uh, uh, you know, you're pretty good. You're nice. You're decent. Mm-hmm. You're above average. Right. Right? <laughs> but that's not really what it means. In fact, uh, if we look in a, in a textbook about Greek grammar called Greek Grammar of the New Testament, uh, this is published by Blass and de Brunner, and they say it is permissible on Greek grammatical and linguistic grounds to paraphrase kikaritomene as completely, perfectly, enduringly endowed with grace. In other words, it's a past tense. It's she has been graced, right? That's what the angel Gabriel is saying. Hmm. Now, if you don't believe me and you say, well, I only believe the King James Version of the Bible. Well, let's go to the King James Version of the Bible, the 1611 authorized edition, right? There's a gloss, which is the little words that appear in the margins mm-hmm. that, that are... Uh, sort of side notes right. in the margins. Mm-hmm. Well, in the side notes, in the 1611 authorized version, it says, having been graced, like graced as in past tense. Really? So our King James readers out there, the older versions of your Bible, actually allowed you to see this and understand this as being having been graced. Okay. Right? And so now we make that connection again. The acacia wood, the pure gold of the ark. Mm-hmm. Mary is pure. Mm-hmm. So we see there the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Mary was conceived without sin and continued in this grace her entire life. Her acacia wood was, mm-hmm. was uh, uh, free from corruption. Right. Right? Such a permanence of grace Pure that we have. Pure inside and out. Pure inside and out. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the, uh, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Let's move on to uh, the little story of Uzzah. A lot of people aren't familiar with that, but what happens to the poor man Uzzah when he touches the ark while it's while it's in procession? It starts to fall off of this cart. And this good guy says, hey, I need to catch this thing. We don't want the ark of the covenant to fall on the ground, right? So in 2 Samuel 6, 
verse 7, we read, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there, because he put forth his hand to the ark, and he died there beside the ark of God. Wow. Pretty pretty unlucky day. Well, it was a bad day for Uzzah, (laughs) but it's a day that we need to recognize here as the importance of not touching the ark. Right. No human person was allowed to touch the ark, and he suffered death if he did. Right? And right. so we see that. What, what parallel can we make? You know, no one can touch the ark. Virgin Mary. No one can touch Mary. Right. Mary is ever virgin. She's a perpetual virgin. Mary was a virgin before, during, and after Christ's birth. We look at the prophecy of Ezekiel. Many people have drawn a connection between this prophecy in Ezekiel, chapter 44, verse 2. And he said to me, This gate shall remain shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it, therefore it shall remain shut. And so that's the prophecy that it gets tied to the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. Because even after, right, even after Christ comes into the world through Mary, it says right here, it shall remain shut. Mm Mm-hmm that no one else will come to Mary in the biblical way. And so we have Mary being the perpetual virgin. Now, we also see the dogma of Mary, the mother of God, sort of in a less vivid way, but still consistent with the, with the imagery that we're getting here in Luke. Right. Um, and what, what was contained in the Ark of the Covenant? The Word of God, the right. Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the Word of God. That's what everyone knows about. We've all seen the Ten Commandments movie by Cecil B. DeMille, and we, right. we, we know what's in that ark, right? But right. we also find out later in the New Testament there are two other things that are contained in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. One of them is the rod of Aaron, which symbolizes the authority of the priesthood. Okay. And then the other thing is the golden urn that, that contains the manna from heaven that sustained the, the Israelites when they were in the desert, when they were in the wilderness, wandering right. through the desert. This, this manna from heaven is is uh, what sustained them, that's inside a golden urn inside the Ark of the Covenant, okay. right? Along with the Word of God. So what did Mary contain in her womb? Jesus. She can, that's right, Jesus, right? We, she's got Jesus, obviously. So what is Jesus? Mm-hmm. Jesus is the Word made flesh, right? Right. The first chapter of John. He's the Word of God. Mm-hmm. He's the eternal high priest. He's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. And also he's the bread of life on which we feed to sustain ourselves in this wilderness of our lives, this is the Eucharist that Catholics eat right. every time we go to Mass. right? So Jesus is the Word, just like the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the High Priest, just like the, the priestly rod or staff of Aaron. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is the Bread of Life, just like the manna from heaven. So we see that connection. And so the womb of Mary contains the same items that are contained in the womb, if you will, of the Ark. So we see the dogma of Mary, the mother of God, portrayed in that imagery. And then, of course, finally, the dogma of the Assumption of Mary. Now, this, of course, again, is a, is a loose association. I want to be honest. But we understand from that dogma of the Assumption of Mary that Mary was assumed into heaven, body and soul. Right. Right? Well, I ask a simple question. Where is the ark? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's nowhere to be found. Right. We have people claiming to have it, just like we have people claiming to, to have the, the bones of Jesus or, or whatever. But the Ark of the Covenant disappeared some 600 years before John wrote the book of Revelation. Right? Mm-hmm. So for uh, you know, almost 25, 2600 years, the Ark of the Covenant has been missing. Well, where is Mary's body? It's also nowhere to be found. Right. 
And if her bones are nowhere to be found, it just plays into the possibility that she was assumed into heaven, that her bones are not here on the earth. Right. That when her time on this earth had passed, when it was time for her to move on, she was assumed body and soul into heaven. That's the teaching of the Catholic Church. And we see that in the lack of evidence of her body. You know, they used to revere so much the, um, the, the remains, the relics of all these great people. We have so many relics of so many saints that have been treasured by the church over the years. And Mary's relics are not there. Mm-hmm. We can look as hard as we want, but we're not going to find them. Right. If we're, if we're looking for them on the earth. And that's because we know where they are if we're looking for them in heaven. Right. She has been assumed into heaven. So what vision does John see in the book of Revelation? Right. Let's mm-hmm. re- read Revelation chapter 11, verse 19 through chapter 12, verse 1. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, voices, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavenly hail. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. He saw Mary. Mm -hmm. In fact, he saw a very Catholic vision or version or view of Mary. Mm -hmm. I mean, just think of it. You know, as I said before, for 600 years, Jews hadn't seen the Ark of the Covenant. It's been missing. And so here's John who announces he's seen the Ark of the Covenant. He looks up and then makes that connection to Mary. It's awesome. And so, obviously, all of this stuff, this connection that Luke is making, is not some scientific proof text or proof of the dogmas of Mary. That's not what it's intended here. But you can't help but see that connection. Right. You can't help but draw that parallel between the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the New Covenant, Mary. Certainly, Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. Luke is teaching us about Mary, right? He is, uh, uh, he's telling us what our response to her and ultimately, our response to God's call to us through her should be. Yep. Obviously, we have a lot to learn from Luke, don't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. Very good. So I hope people see this and understand a little bit more about this vision of Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what we ought to do now is we ought to close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, you chose Mary as the uncorrupted dwelling place of our Savior, Jesus. She is truly the Ark of your New Covenant. Help us to accept her as our mother, to lead us ever closer to your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online, download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. Ooh.